The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Johnny. Here we are remotely again. It's been a hectic week, let's say. Lots of people wanting to get help and helping the people that are here, and sometimes we get pretty busy. Understood. And this is episode number 55. We are into season two, but I refuse to keep track of what number in season two. I'm just going to do it cumulative. So this is this, mm-hmm. this is episode 55. Pretty excellent. I mean, we've been doing this for quite a while. And, you know, I think we've created a little bit of a following because I, I think I said this before, the people on on the online chat on our website We'll get people that chat with them and say, oh, my God, you know, Jason's there. I can actually talk to him. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not used to that kind of attend- that kind of notoriety. Um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting because it shows me that, one, people are actually listening. Yes. Uh, people are enjoying it. And um, I hope that when we come, you know, to the public every week that they get something out of it. I do too. And I, you know, I think that they do, even if they don't necessarily agree with what we say. I think, you know, we're, we're addressing the problem, and we are continuing to put it there, and making people, you know, more aware of what the problem is, and that it's, you know, it's not pigeonholed into any um, demographic. And it's, you know, quite a bit more widespread than people um, might mm-hmm. imagine, but also that there are solutions, do you know? So it's not like it's hopeless, but we do want to bring it to the forefront and make sure people are, you know, confronting it and getting help when they need help. Yeah. And this is a hard thing to confront. This is a hard thing to face and deal with because for so long, and I know that my parents were completely guilty of this. It's much easier to disbelieve what you're seeing and brush it under the carpet and not pay it attention because that way, in your reality, it's not really happening. And I know a lot of families, and almost we as a society have a habit of doing it, is that we don't, if it's too uncomfortable and it's too hard to look at it, if we don't look at it and sweep it away, maybe it'll go away. But unfortunately, that's not how the world works. You know, the more you ignore a problem, the more it festers and grows because you're not doing anything causatively to handle it. Right. Right. And, and I, th- um, I know a lot of families are guilty of the same thing because. My parents didn't want to believe that I was a drug addict. Right. Well, your dad, no your dad, the, your dad knew it, but your mom didn't. That's true. That's true. And they, uh, you know, my mom was my biggest enabler because I, me and my mom are always very, very connected. Like me and my dad have a great relationship, but me and my mom had like a very strong like mother son connection, and she, I don't think she wanted to believe that someone that she raised with you know, ethics and morals and values and stuff like that went the complete opposite direction mm-hmm. and turned into this like heinous, monstrous drug addict. And right. it was hard to look at. It really, it really, really is. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hoping families out there listening, maybe take a closer look at what's going on. And I always tell people, your eyes are not going to lie to you. What you see usually was what is. And I know sometimes it can be hard to take an objective look at something you're very emotionally involved in. Right. But if you see it, it's probably there and you should do something about it. Right. And also the other thing is, you know, we all have intuition. We all have Mm -hmm. that sixth sense. And, you know, don't ever deny it. 
Like, you know, when there's something up and there's something wrong and something about your, you know, I don't, you know, your son or your friend or your spouse or whatever, you know, when things aren't right, you know, there's, there's an, there's an intuition and there's, you know, there's just ways that you can, you know, perceive those kinds of things. And so don't deny it and go, oh, it's probably just me. And especially don't deny it when the loved one goes, no, there's nothing wrong. Why are you asking? Yeah. Keep asking. Keep asking, you know? Exactly. So anything new happening at Narcanon this week? Yes, there's a few things I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to give Narcanon Suncoast a little plug. Okay. Um, because we had a major, we had a major win um, about a month ago, and it's that Narcon Suncoast actually received its accreditation by the Joint Commission. Oh, cool! So, for a lot of people that might not know what the Joint Commission is, previously they were known as JCO, and it's one of the most prestigious, high accreditations you can get as the Behavioral Health Center. And so, back in last February, they did a extend the commission did a very very extensive, I won't call it investigation, but they did like an on-site survey. Or evaluation, maybe? Or an evaluation, yeah, about like how we do things, um, what standards we comply with, um, what standards we might not comply with, you know, what our levels of care are, you know, treatment services, the environment of care, leadership, and screening procedures um, for the early detection of imminent harm. It's all looked at. Right. And so not every treatment center gets this accreditation, but I'm down by it. I'm going to say the best of the best do. And we actually got it. We, uh, we had the inspection on February 12th and uh, we received the accreditation about a month ago, which is very, very cool um, because the commission's gold seal of approval is only for, is only given to centers that demonstrate continuous compliance with performance standards. And so it's a symbol of quality that I want, um, people to know we had a big win. It was kind of an amazing thing. A lot went into it, and we have a nice, actual, literally, they give you um, on your accreditation paper a big gold seal of approval, and it's pretty cool. Well, congratulations! I mean, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, I know the quality of care that's there because I've been there personally to see it. But for the fifteen thousand or so. Well, maybe not 15,000 people. There's 15,000 downloads, but the thousands of people who listen to us who maybe have never been to Narcanon Suncoast and experienced the type of service and the quality of service that you guys offer. Well, now there's a third party verification validation of what you guys do. Yeah, so it's not just us that think we're great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like how my mother always told me I was the most handsome person in the world. <laughs> now we actually get a third party of saying we're pretty good we're, uh, we're pretty good so, there you go um yeah i thought it was a really really awesome thing um on a uh on another note uh there's something i wanted to bring up that i think will make the marijuana supporters happy now how rarely would i ever say something like <laughs> like that um are you okay but, is this is okay. this J- the jason i know and love <laughs> no i'm kidding I, you. I, I don't know i might have a couple screws loose at this point however I, I came across some interesting i'm always looking at studies and things that are going on um and i always feel like the more data i can think with the more data everyone else can think with because i'll give everyone else the data right um and and so i'm always looking for what's happening what's the new research blah 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 and so the marijuana supporters are of the mind that marijuana is not a gateway drug. Right. 
while it doesn't lead to other drug use, it, it doesn't, you know, and by gateway drug, we mean, you know, essentially it leads people to other drug use. So like essentially like a person would, the previous thought was a person would smoke weed and then they'd wind up going alcohol and pills and then wind up, you know, on heroin, coke, meth, stuff like that. And there's been a debate about it forever. You know, the pro-marijuana supporters are like, it's not a gateway drug. And then you've got, you know, the, the behavioral health and drug rehabilitation approach is like, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely a gateway drug because if you talk to three quarters of addicts currently enrolled in the treatment center, most of them are going to tell you their first drug was marijuana, right? And right. we talked to a lot of people whose first drug was marijuana. Right. And, um, you know, basically... One of the one of the newest forms or pieces of research and study that came out is actually calling out alcohol as the main gateway drug over marijuana. Interesting. It is interesting, and of course, that piqued my interest. Is uh, you know because you know one of the uh, pro marijuana arguments is that alcohol is more of a gateway than weed because liquor and liquor causes uh, like a society a wide range of problems that doesn't exist amongst people that you know, smoke weed or eat edibles, right? People that are pro-marijuana think, always thought that alcohol was the way more dangerous drug, and we as a society always thought that marijuana was the person that people tried. Right. And so basically the study was talking about um, what people would wind up trying first and how that would set up a later addiction in life. So it was a study that was done at uh, University of Florida, uh-huh. And it, the study found that preventing children from consuming alcohol and delaying their use until later in life, they significantly reduced their chances of being becoming addicted to drugs. Interesting. And it actually, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Huh. I mean, it, it makes sense. Because, because the, yeah. So uh, they use something called, a, it's called a Gutman's, a Gutman scale. Um, we used that in the uh, in, in this research that they did, and it showed that alcohol in this instance, I'll say in this instance, because I can't speak broadly, but it said in this instance, that alcohol was more of a gateway than weed, and it resulted in people being drawn into other substances, such as tobacco, weed, and you know other legal and illegal drugs. It also showed that kids who consumed alcohol had a greatly increased potential to use other drugs as compared to marijuana. Huh. I wonder if that's regional. Like, I understand that that's a Florida study, but did they do the study all over the U.S.? Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I read the, I read an abstract over the whole thing, which is like a summary, uh-huh. and then I read the conclusions on it, and I was like, that's going to be really, really, really interesting. Yeah. Because um, this study, and I don't know. I mean, I'd have to do a bit more research into the. Um, the reliability of the con- of the control groups they use. There's a lot of variables that go into doing, you know, research and surveys on certain populations of people. There's a lot of different things you got to cover to make it like a legitimate piece of research. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and whether it is or it is not, I think it was an interesting, they took an interesting viewpoint on it because if you look at, if, if you look at it from like a social standpoint, there's more of a social stigma on marijuana than there is on alcohol. Right. Well, at least there was. Um, leading at, right now, we're coming up to where marijuana is being kind of normalized in society. It's becoming like a normal thing. But for a long time, marijuana wasn't, wasn't it, it still had a social stigma. Uh, but it was a drug. It was a drug to a lot of people. Right. But alcohol is one of those drugs that, that is not necessarily taken as seriously as others. It's, you know, it's, 
you know, kind of like cigarettes. The grocery store and you have to pass the, huh? I said it's kind of like cigarettes. It's kind of like cigarettes. Yeah, because, I mean, you walk into a grocery store and you walk through the wine, the liquor aisle when you're trying to get a head of lettuce. <laughs> yep. You know, you see, you know, entertainment stars. And it's in the movies. It's just in the media. It's all over the place. Like, we're, we get very inundated with alcohol ads and stuff like that. And, you know, and the ads show you having a good time with hot girls and all this stuff. And you just have to drink this drink and you can have all this. And it's a very, very there's not as much of a social stigma on alcohol as there was on marijuana. And the thing is, alcohol is actually, according to the marijuana supporters, a much more dangerous drug than it's made out to be. Okay. You know what I mean? Not really. That's a lost year. <laughs> yeah, not like, really. Out. Let me let me kind of explain. Um, you mean because of like the side effects? You mean because of how if you are addicted to alcohol and you want to come off, you can go into seizures and die? But that might not happen with marijuana. Is that what you mean? Well, that's part of it. I mean, it has a very, very. I don't. I I think alcohol is thought of. I'm trying to. I'm trying not to be too broad and generalized. But alcohol, alcohol used irresponsibly is an extremely dangerous drug. Right. I mean, the, when you become physically dependent, you try and quit. Like you said, you go through delirium tremens. You go through a type of withdrawal that actually has a very, very high mortality rate if it's not, um, if it's not closely monitored. You can't just, if you have an alcohol habit, you can't just stop drinking. Right. And a lot of people, while under the influence of alcohol, their behavior is extremely erratic and it's very unpredictable. And they can wind up hurting themselves or someone else. Um, and that's one of the pro-marijuana people's uh, point of view is that, you know, people smoke weed or they eat an edible. They're going to like sit and chill out. Meanwhile, the person that gets highly intoxicated on alcohol is going to go drive their car drunk, hit a family of four, kill them, drive away from the scene, go home, beat their wives and pass out. That's interesting. So there's two different sides there's two different sides of this whole thing because there's two different types of intoxication that come from it. And there's one you get from marijuana, from abusing marijuana. You get one from abusing alcohol, neither of which are good. I, and I don't, you know, I'm almost of the mind. It's like, I don't, while this study is interesting, because I always find this stuff interesting, like to see both sides of an argument. I don't think it even matters which one is the gateway drug. No, it doesn't. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter. If it's a gateway, it's a gateway. But but what you're saying is, well, you hear you hear the term mean drunks. You yeah. know, like some... Because there's there are people who, you know, get drunk and they, they just get mellow. They don't particularly get mean. So are you saying that people who smoke marijuana don't get mean, typically? I, I know that's a generality, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm asking. I would say... I would say there's no, there's, there's really no typical reaction. There, I mean, there are typical reactions to drugs, but remember, all drugs affect each person differently That's based true. on their own metabolism, their own body, the way they, you know, the way they process a drug, on how fast it leaves their body. You know, it all depends on, you know, a couple of variables, how it's going to affect each person. And some people, so in a very general sense, the, Pro-marijuana people are like, well, no one smokes weed and goes and they has a domestic violence you know, incident, drives their car, uh, runs off the road, smashes into a phone phone, does all these crazy things that people on alcohol will do. But alcohol supporters are like, well, well I'm doing this legal. You guys are breaking the law. And so there's just like a whole back and forth about the whole thing. Um, 
realistically, I don't think the, the legality argument is valid anymore. Right. But I'm not sure I agree with you in terms of the driving because I'm seeing all kinds of commercials now for, you know, drive, drive baked and get busted. That part, I'm not sure I agree that there's more there from alcohol than the marijuana. But you do hear about, you know, the guys who are drunk and then they beat the you know what out of their their spouses. And I'm wondering if that happens on marijuana, not having I mean, I Okay, I'd experienced marijuana when I was in college, but you know, I did it and I went and watched Fantasia and don't remember what happened. I don't remember any particular <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember any particular emotional spikes of any kind. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so that part you could be right that people typically don't, you know, smoke marijuana and then go home and beat the you know what out of their husband or wife. Right. I'll, I'll accept I mean, that. <laughs> you accept that? <laughs> Basically, I thought it was, I, I, you know, I wrote, I wrote a blog on this. Uh, okay. Because I, thought, I found that it was, an, I, I, blo- I wrote a blog on this. I thought it was an interesting viewpoint. Um, because you had a study that was saying, well, alcohol might be the, the real gateway over marijuana because the study showed that people who consumed alcohol first had a more higher likelihood of going on to harder drugs or other drugs if they started drinking alcohol early in life over marijuana and the reason i thought it was interesting is because there's always been such a heated debate about whether or not marijuana is the gateway drug. right uh, i can i can show the population of people that have come through my program and get a pretty decent average on how many of them were the first drug was weed and i'll tell you it's at least three quarters of them. right at least i mean the same thing with the same thing with me i smoked pop before i ever got down right and, and so I can speak from my own personal experience. It just seemed to be that if you were going to go down the road of drug use, that was, and I think it still is the natural progression of how you get into it. And uh, I mean, and who knows? I mean, who knows what the real gateway is? I mean, and you know what? I don't really necessarily think in the grand scheme of things it even matters. Because, it doesn't. You know, you know you're, you're right. It's interesting information, but in the overall scheme of things, you know, however somebody lands on heroin or, you know, Oxycontin or cocaine or wherever they end up, you know, they still have the same problem. <laughs> yeah, they do. And, you know, the thing that I get really sick of, and I hate to say it like that, but the thing I get really sick of is the, between the alcohol supporters and the marijuana supporters is the legality thing. It's like, wait, 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 wait. If you're going to go down that rabbit hole with me, be prepared to do so because you want to start talking about how one's okay because it's legal and the other's not okay because it's illegal, but Oxycontin is legal. My so drug's better than your drug. Is, I think your argument is completely invalid because I think legal, legal drugs have done our country and our planet and our uh, just our species as a whole yeah. more of a disservice than anything that's been considered illegal. Yep, I agree. That's like saying my drug's better than it, your drug, yeah, and that's and that's a ridiculous argument. Yeah, it's like mine's better than yours because it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ridiculous it's, argument. It's unreal. Yeah, it is. And people r- have it. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, some people have to argue. I feel like you have to have something to disagree about. Exactly. Um, but I, you know, it's funny. They'll still hear that argument. Oh, well, it, I mean, 
alcohol is okay. It's 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 legal. It's right. um. But I always I always thought about the fact that okay, so it's legal. That doesn't mean it's good for you. I mean, there's tons of things in legal health food stores that you shouldn't consume. Right. Like, um, for instance, kratom was legal for a long time. That's not a great thing to consume. Right. Now they've made it illegal in certain areas of the country, but I don't think legal or illegal means it's good for you or bad for you. And a lot of people have taken that stance on it. It's legal. It's okay. If it's illegal, it must be bad for you. You know, where would our, where would our world be without Oxycontin? Which is completely I know. Legal. Oxycontin is legal and it is definitely bad for you. And the, and fentanyl in fentanyl is not fentanyl, illegal. Fentanyl. No, I mean, it's prescribed by doctors. Well, let's. I want to clarify something because I just um, I just saw another statistic that I thought was interesting, and this is a good segue point. Okay. So fentanyl is a legal prescribed drug. I mean, people will take fentanyl, um, like fentanyl patches for severe pain, or or when they're when they're terminally ill, they get fentanyl patches, or they have what's commonly called on the street the fentanyl lollipop, which is like a stick with a sponge on the end, and the sponge is soaked in fentanyl, and then you kind of like put it on the inside of your cheek. Yeah. Those are prescribed. Fentanyl is a legal drug. And right. now fentanyl is, um, it's, it's prescribed by, it's, it's prescribed by a physician. And yeah, of course, when you're a drug addict, you can get your hands on fentanyl patches and the lollipops and stuff like that. But for all intents and purposes, it's not an illegal drug. Now, the interesting thing is that the drug that you'll get prescribed from a doctor, you'll get in a hospital is called fentanyl citrate. Right. Three quarters of the, or more than three quarters of the fentanyl that's out there killing people, that people are getting on the street, that's getting mixed with heroin and cocaine. I mean, they're even finding fentanyl in, um, in methamphetamine and, and other drugs where you would never expect it. That's not fentanyl citrate. That is not pharmaceutical prescribed fentanyl. What we have to really understand is that the fentanyl, as we thought of it, as we once knew it, what do we have now is a completely different drug. Right. What we have now are are multiple, multiple, multiple fentanyl analogs floating around and finding their ways into the drug supply. And what's happening, it's the same sequence of events, or it's just, I'd say it's a similar sequence of events with what happened with Spice. Right. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you how. Spice was a drug, made it illegal, they changed the chemical, made that one illegal, they made that one illegal, they changed the chemical, and that was legal again, and then changed that. And that became illegal, and it changed the chemical again to make it legal, and so on and so forth. And after you know, you know, a period of time, it all these random, weird synthetic chemicals floating around. No one really knew what it was, or what they were getting, or how they were going to react to it, or whatever. But the same thing's happening with fentanyl now, because they're finding all sorts of strange alterations and analogs, and and uh, tinkering with the chemical structure of fentanyl. And that's the stuff that people are actually ingesting when they're doing heroin and other, you know, illicit drugs that they're getting on the street. And we don't really know what these analogs are or how they work or what they do other than the mechanism of action is so fast. And the onset of the drug is so quick that when people are overdosing, it's happening in a matter of seconds to minutes. Whereas back in the day when people were just shooting up heroin, like a heroin overdose could build up over a course of an hour. Right because the mechanism of action is slower with, 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 that, with the drug of heroin in its pure form. Right. So, you know, a lot of people that you hear of overdosing, they're dead, the needle's still on. 
but it happened that quick. Right. So what we have now is this really scary thing that's happened. Um, and the thing is, these fentanyl analogs are not technically illegal. Well, but they're not good for because you. They don't, <laughs> definitely not good for you. But I mean, but they're not te- they're technically not illegal because they're not on any kind of DEA schedule. Uh, I mean, they're just these like very random chemicals and they're all coming from China. And it's, uh, you know, in the, you know, China consistently mass produces and, and import well exports to the United States kilos and kilos and kilos and kilos of these synthetic fentanyl analogs that are then making its way on purpose into the, the drug supplies. And the reason they're doing it is because they know that we have this unquenchable thirst for drugs here in the United States. Right. We want this stuff. That's the thing. Yeah. We are begging for it almost because the United States consumes more drugs than any other country worldwide. Yep. That's a, that's a known, at this point, it's a really known fact. The United States loves these drugs. Like, like as a whole, we love drugs. And, China is going to continuously create new analogs, create new synthetic drugs, and pumping through our borders because we are going to be chomping at the bit to buy it. Right. So it's like a supply and demand thing. Yep. We're demanding it. They're supplying. They're certainly supplying it. And, you know, part of this whole thing is, like, we have to start turning the demand down a little bit because it's honestly... I hate to say it in such like a blunt and kind of grim way, but it's getting a bit out of, it's getting to a point where this drug problem is so out of control. Like I don't know what the next evolution of this is going to be. Right. Because every, every so often I wake up, I read a news story, I look online, I see how I see what's happening. And I'm like, well, there's how there's another little bit of an evolution of it. And it's going into the wrong direction. Right. Because, we as a society are choosing to take this stuff and we as a society are choosing the easy way out, the silver bullet, the quick fix, the, the biggest way to confront things by not dealing with it, which is not confronting things, not confronting things. Um, and we have to almost like unlearn all these bad habits and ways that we think we survive better because it's actually killing us societally. I agree. It's true. And I don't, I, and, you know, you and I sit here week after week and we talk about some things that are going on. We always offer a solution up. But we have to get out of this idea that if you take something, that's going to fix your problem. Because taking something will never fix your problem. That's correct. And I want everyone who's listening to me right now to really, really, really understand that concept. You cannot take something and make a problem go away or become handled. All you've done is put a temporary bandaid on whatever it is. And, and this is kind of an extreme example, but I, I, I can't remember how I even heard this story. There's a story of a guy that, you know, woke up one day, had a severe headache, took a bunch of ibuprofen, headache went away. Um, and for months he kept waking up, have a severe headache, take ibuprofen, headache goes away. After some time he goes to, um, he goes to the doctor, he's starting to get really sick, the headaches are worse, he goes and gets an MRI, and he's got a giant brain tumor. Oh, wow. So that so he was just masking the problem by taking ibuprofen. 
And then at the end of the day, because you're masking the problem it gets and not worse. actually handling what's wow. going on, it got worse wow. and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think that translates to literally anything yep. in life. If you are going to put a Band-Aid on something and not deal with the problem, it, most problems, on average, most problems do not solve themselves. Right. Like, if, if I, I talk to, I tell families a lot of the time, if your child doesn't get into rehab, it's going to get worse because the problem is not going to sort itself out by itself. Right. You cannot have a person that's on drugs and one day, I mean, this is a real romantic notion and it's not realistic is that one day they're going to wake up and say, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'd rather just get a job and pay my bills and move out <laughs> of my parents' basement and go be successful and I'm just going to put this needle in this pipe down. I, you know what? I think, you know, I just like got into like the end result of all this and I understand it. Don't want it anymore. I'm just going to move on and have a successful life. Right. I've literally had a family member tell me that, well, what, that, that, that was like a likelihood for their kid. And I was like, no, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. Right. And there's a million reasons why that's not going to happen. You can't ignore it. If you ignore it, it's going to get worse. So, uh, you know, for anybody listening, it's like if you look at your loved one and they're completely ruining their lives, they're using drugs, you know it, they're denying it, but you're not, you're, you're not stupid, you know what you see, that's not going to get better by itself. You can't ignore that. You can't turn a blind eye to it. You can't say, oh, well, they'll get help when they're ready because you can't leave a lot of drug addicts, uh, you can't leave it up to a drug addict and a person in active addiction to make a logical decision because what they're doing every day of their lives is completely logical. Right. Look at it objectively. Right. Um, and so a lot of us have to go out of our comfort zone to deal with the actual problems that are around us and that we're surrounded by on a daily basis. And, you know, it's that I need a quick fix or, or mask whatever's happening or mask the problem or deal with it later or whatever that gets you into addiction in the first place. That, pro- that thought problem. Right. And so, you know, families who think that an addict's going to get better on their own, it's the same. It's almost a similar thought process to an addict thinking, well, if I do this shot of heroin, the problem is just going to go away. Right. The problem's still there regardless. And so I hope that little pep talk helped somebody out there. <laughs> because <laughs> the, the thing, the, it's the fact of the matter is that we're, you have to deal with it. And we as a society love masking our problems. That's why we have such a thirst for drugs. It's, yeah. a, it's a giant, like, I'm not going to confront this or look at this right now, but I'll do it later. But right now I'm just going to numb it away in, ho- in the hopes that as you numb it away, somewhere out in the ether, the problem solves itself and it never happens. Right. And so I want everyone out there, someone out there, to really like, take the bull by the horns and, and take some uh, proactive measures to whatever problems are in your life right now whether it be an addicted loved one or your own addiction or problems at work, problems with your spouse, whatever, you see a problem, the best way to handle it is deal with it. Yep. Head on. Just jump in and, and, and do it because nothing ever solves itself. Exactly. Good. So I kind of jumped on my soapbox there, didn't I? I think that's okay. I think, I think it's fine. I think, I think it's a good message. Can I change the subject? Absolutely. I went last Friday and I saw the film that Jim Meskimen told us about called Sun to Sun. Oh. And it's really, 
really, really good. I'm I'm looking well. I'm looking forward to when it will be available for people to watch on YouTube because I'm assuming it will be. It's a short film. It's not a feature film, and I don't think people like sell short films particularly. So I'm hoping it will be available on YouTube at some point. It's very. It's extremely well acted. The young man who plays the son is Nick Lane, and um, Jim mm-hmm. Meskimen plays the dad. And it's, it's pretty hard hitting. The son is a, you know, as a recovered um, heroin addict. And um, the dad is now addicted to painkillers and mm-hmm. is, you know, trying somewhat uh, kind of almost covertly to see if his son has somebody that he can call that he can get heroin from. And that's unbelievable. It, it's it's a really a very well done film. And at one point, the son just says, he says, you know, this is a really messed up conversation. And he doesn't use messed up, but this is a clean podcast. So I'm not going to use the right words. But he, yeah. goes, he just says, this is a really messed up conversation. And, you know, and the dad goes, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You know, it's okay. It's fine. You know, but, you know, do you have a number in your phone? I mean, it just it's 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 a really well done film and I, once it's available i want to i definitely want to urge people to see it cuz it's uh, it's just another take it's just another angle on this whole problem but it's um it's good it it's a good film i I, nice. I think it'll i think it'll win awards at various film festivals cuz it's really really well done i think we need more films like that that really show the stark realities of what happens behind closed doors in regards to addiction, because there's obviously a large part of the public out there that isn't really privy to what goes on within addicted families or or what goes on with an addict on a day-to-day basis. I mean, they know what they see in movies and what they hear on the news and read on Facebook and stuff like that. But a lot of people don't really see like, how bad it really is and how bad it really gets because that whole conversation that the dad has with the son about getting him heroin, like that's not a far fetched thing to have actually occurred somewhere in the United States. Right. And some household somewhere that was a reality because that's what's actually happening. And some people might not want to look at that or see that. And it makes you feel bad. It makes you feel uncomfortable. That's where we're at. That's That's where we're at. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, it was really good, yeah. and it was it was fun to see it after we interviewed Jim and got his whole story. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that it does well for him. I think it will because it's very well done. I I hope so. I hope that catches fire because I think a lot of people need to see that. Cool. Yep, I agree. I, yeah. So. Next week, we're going to be talking um, to a young woman who it's a very different perspective on addiction. She's not an addict herself, but she's um, had, you know, a couple of addicted individuals in her life and, you know, has gone through the whole emotional roller coaster that that can cause, as we've discussed in the past, and has, you know, like a lot of people has come out the other side and wants to help others. And so is um, kind of creating a forum for that on Facebook. So we'll talk 
Um, we'll talk to her next week and we'll talk Perfect. about that conversation. So um, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep putting out this message and discussing different aspects of the problem. And I'll talk to you again next week. You got it. We'll talk to you then. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 